0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. This week, there's a recount on in Florida. No, you haven't bumped your head and fallen asleep and awakened sometime in the year 2000. This is a current day recount we're talking about, and it's going to determine whether a full recount is necessary for the U.S. Senate and gubernatorial races in that state. For a lot of people, this invokes sour memories of hanging chads, court cases, and bitter outcomes. Is there something unique about Florida when it comes to close elections? How come it seems this state is constantly attracting national attention for its recounts? Or is this recount just a sign of our politically divided times? Also, what are the outcomes here? Will they be just? More importantly, will the people in Florida accept them as just, and will the nation Accept the idea that the outcomes in Florida reflect counting votes and counting every vote. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And joining us to talk a little more about it is somebody who has a very familiar history with recounts. Don Gagne is the national political correspondent for National Public Radio. He's headed to Florida this week to cover the recount. During the 2000 presidential campaign, he chronicled the controversial election and the ensuing legal recount battles in the courts. At the same time, George W. Bush moved into the White House in 2001. Gagne started as NPR's White House correspondent. Don, welcome to Detroit today. <laughs> I'm trying to think of
1: what what song I should quote. What a long strange trip it's been. Or I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Except I'm not. <laughs> right. No. They
0: both they both apply. This. I feel so badly for you. <laughs> You're headed back into this morass. Uh, and
1: it's the same The same county, Brett.
0: (laughs) Right, right. The same flashpoint. Um, So, what is happening in Florida this week, and why? So,
1: you know, uh, election night. It did look like it was a pair of Republican victories, albeit very, very close, in both the U.S. Senate race and the uh, and and the governor's race. In fact, uh, you know, uh, both uh, both. Candidates on the Republican side you know, declared victory. And, and, and in the gubernatorial race, uh, the Democrat, Andrew Gillum, even conceded you know, sometime after midnight. But as they continued to count votes, uh, because that declaration of victory was based on you know, projections and the way it looked like it was going to go. And it seemed like while close, the margin was probably enough to assure victory for the two Republicans in these races. Though so we were we were always less less certain of that in the in the uh, U.S. Senate race. In fact, that one was was not officially you know called the way the governor's race was, but it kept tightening and it kept tightening, <laughs> and now we're into that place. And I guess uh, it feels like it's because it's Florida, but in reality, this would be happening you know almost almost anywhere else if it were this close. Mm-hmm. That all of those mail-in ballots that maybe came in from overseas and maybe there were military votes and maybe there were votes that just weren't counted on the first night. Suddenly every single one of those votes looms even larger in its potential to tip the balance. That's where the battle is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the numbers that we have now have both races, though the uh, the Senate race is, is much closer, both races, within within that one half of a percentage point margin, out of something like 8.2 million votes cast, so it's just astounding. But but not as close <laughs> as uh, the presidential election in 2000 was. That one was just a matter of hundreds of votes. Now we're talking, you know, more than 10,000, uh, 30,000 votes in, in in the gubernatorial race. Uh, anyway, uh, because it was within that half of a percentage point margin, it triggered the automatic machine-done recount, which is now underway. That is to be done by Thursday, 8 p.m., though there are questions as to whether or not every county can hit that deadline. Mm -hmm. You know, you have 67 counties, I think. Some big, some are done counting already, or some small, some are done counting already, some big. They're not sure they can hit the 8 o'clock Thursday deadline. But after that, if it's then within point. Two five percentage points, a quarter of one percentage point in 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 those races, then it would go to a manual recount.
0: And that, <laughs> that was, was and that was yeah. where 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 we saw the real conflict emerge in in two thousand. It was with these hand recounts. Uh, can you talk about things that are that are a little different maybe this time than than last time in Florida?
1: Well, I, I mean, one one thing that is kind of the same or well let's just call it similar is that there is some uh confusion over the ballot in, you know it's in 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 Broward County uh they don't have that old fashioned butterfly ballot that we had in 2000 that had uh you know the literal uh you had to punch through the ballot with a with a little stylus mm-hmm. and we had the the hanging chad, that's where that term came became a part of our lexicon. Uh, we, we don't have that, but we have a, a crowded ballot where, for some reason, there are all kinds of undervotes, meaning people just didn't vote at all for the race at the top of the ticket, uh, which was the U.S. Senate rate. And election experts will tell you that what usually happens is the further down the ballot you get, the more undervotes you There's have, the more off. people say, "Oh, I don't know that one; I'm not going to vote for." But they usually vote at the top. And in this one, there are a lot of Senate ballots that just weren't marked. Uh, and the question is, why? Is it because of the confusing ballot? Is it uh, is it because of uh, you know, the machine somehow just didn't read that section of the ballot? That's one thing that they're looking at, uh, and that's something that is similar. Otherwise, it it, it does feel like it's uh you know it, it it's a it, i don't want to say it's a more orderly process but because i'm not down there actually looking at it <laughs> but 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 so far we don't have those pictures of people holding ballots up to light you know and deciding which of four or five stacks that ballot is going to go into based on you know kind of a judgment call by three people holding a ballot up to the light to see if uh, this hole has been punched or that.
0: Right. Uh, one of the big disputes in 2000, of course, was the vote counting itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Republicans wanted the vote counting to stop. Democrats wanted it to keep going because they felt as though they were picking up ground the more votes were counted. Is that that's also sort of uh, rid its head already in this discussion? Uh,
1: yeah. And it, it's, you know, again, it's not identical. It's the, It's the 2018 version of it. But uh, a lot of it deals with uh, mail-in votes and, and how they are being counted and when they're postmarked and when they're received, and certainly uh, military votes from overseas as well. And, uh, you know, Democrats are pushing to have the military votes that were, you know, received, that, were, that, that have a postmark election day. Be counted, even if they came in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are similar disputes over other mail-in votes uh, that aren't, you know, from overseas military on, on on when they were postmarked, when they were received, and whether or not it's you know the voter's fault if it came in after that date, and if it should then be counted. And. Uh, you know, the campaigns kind of know where these votes tend to be coming from, and that means that maybe they might be more Republican or more Democratic or, or, or whatever. So decisions are being made based, based on all of that as well. But that does at least have pretty strong echoes of, of the kind of battles we saw over what votes uh, received when should be counted uh, back in 2000. Hmm.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, my guest is Don Gagne, national political correspondent for National Public Radio. He is headed to Florida this week to cover yet another recount. Recounts in the U.S. Senate and gubernatorial races in that state again have the nation's attention on how we count votes. How do we count votes in all kinds of elections? How do we make sure that votes that are cast are counted. That is still a source of real tension in the political narrative in our country. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think of the burgeoning recount in Florida. Do you think this is going to go the same way it did in 2000? Uh, what do you think we might do to avoid this kind of controversy around balloting? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 one oh one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before I, I get to the phones, Don, I want to ask you about the end of the recounts in 2000 and what you heard from Floridians about the outcome. The, did you hear from people that they that they felt cheated by the process? Uh, or did you hear from people that uh, it worked as well as it could, and it was just time to move on?
1: Uh, you, you didn't hear much. It worked as well as it could. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> you, it, it you know it depended on what side they were on,
0: whether or not they
1: were happy uh, with with the decision. Uh, uh, you yeah, uh, know, Republicans won that one. Uh, supporters of George W. Bush back then said. Uh, look, he he won, Uh, they could have dragged this thing out forever, Uh, it wouldn't have proven anything, it wouldn't have been conclusive. So we have no choice but to go with this. And, of course, they like the outcome uh, for months and months and years afterward. Democrats were still complaining about it. And it did kind of carry over into people's perceptions of the Bush presidency mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and raised issues, certainly, that his critics uh, continued to talk about for years and years about his legitimacy As president, so it was. It was just messy, messy during the recount (laughs) and messy afterward for for so long. And uh, this this one feels different in that the stakes aren't you know quite as high. Uh, They're they're, they're certainly high. You know, the governorship and the Senate seat are, are are are. very important offices, but it isn't the presidency of the United States. And even on the Senate side, uh, because we know that Republicans will have a majority, it, it is not as it might have been DC that would determine control of the Senate right. for the next two years. So uh, uh, again, not to dismin- diminish how high the stakes are. They're, they're, they're very high. But in that regard, it's maybe just, you know, a notch below uh, the battle for the actual presidency that we had mm-hmm. in 2000. But it's still kind of astounding that, that, that here we are again in this <laughs> same place. In the same uh, 18 place. 18 years
0: later, right. but with gray hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, Don. <laughs> uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Mike on the Lodge Freeway. Mike, what's on your mind?
1: Hi, Stephen. Hey. A question for Don, uh, again, about the military ballots. My recollection is there, there was a, the same dispute about how to count them as to when they came in in 2000. And I wonder whether, as Florida adopted any kind of uniform rule about, you know, is the postmark date the date? Is it not the date? It seemed to me they allowed military ballots to come in just about any time uh, last time
0: around. Mike, uh, great question. Thanks for the call. Uh, Don, how 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 does how do states determine how to manage all of those all of those various issues about when ballots are postmarked when they come in? Uh, what who what are the rules that govern that?
1: Uh, so so states states you know kind of are in charge of their own elections. So various states you know. Make make the rules, mm-hmm. and it's why we see all kinds of rules uh, uh, that that differ from place to place uh, in terms of you know the, the the big ones we've seen battles over lately have been over you know who is eligible to vote if you need voter ID you know if, if you can be purged from the rolls for not voting uh, that that's something we're seeing in in Georgia that's being being fought out now. I confess, I don't I don't know the actual. Uh, Differences, if if there are any, between Florida today and Florida uh, in in 2000 on the on the specific rules of military ballots. If I had the statute in front of me, I'd dig it up and read it. But I confess, I I just don't want to kind of wander down there. I, I, I don't know it off the top of my head.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and and these are not questions that are unique to Florida. The 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 way in which. Different kinds of ballots are managed and counted. This is something that comes up in in many states, just as the way uh, people have to register or can can be counted as registered comes up. Just to the north of Florida, in Georgia, this year we we have a lot of controversy over ballots, ballots that were. Cast uh, voters who were told that they couldn't cast ballots. This this seems to be a pretty important frontier in in the discussion about our politics right now.
1: It, 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 exactly, and you know the, the the big kind of blockbuster recount of uh, of the years since Florida was the uh, Al Franken race against Norm Coleman mm-hmm. in uh, you know in, in, in Minnesota. And that one took months to be uh, to be resolved as well. And again, many of the exact same kinds of battles, but uh, each state has its own rules, has its own, you know, practices. And ultimately, these things can, you know, go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court where a ruling comes down, as it did with, with you know, Bush v. Gore. <laughs> but generally speaking, they're, you know, They're 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 worked out on the state level uh, with with state courts being involved. Right.
0: Okay, Don Gagne, national political correspondent for NPR. I would say have fun in Florida, but I think I know better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I remember uh, my first day down there. I'll just just quickly. Uh I remember coming out of my hotel the, hotel, the elevator opened, and there was a family there with, like, shorts and swimsuits on. <laughs> and I was there to cover the recount. I remember thinking, who are these people dressed like that?
0: <laughs> That's right. What are they doing here? This is more important business. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll, well, we will look forward to your reporting uh, from Florida as this uh, this recount unfolds and the story reaches some conclusion, hopefully before the end of the year. Uh, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit today. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about the Bush V Gore recount in Florida with another reporter who covered it, Ron Fournier. He says this recount is dredging up pretty horrible memories for him. We'll find out why next. Stay with us on Detroit today. This is Detroit today on one oh one nine WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And I'm really glad you've joined us. We want to continue our conversation about recounts in Florida in 2000. And now and now joining us is somebody else who has a lot of experience with this issue. Ron Fournier is the president of Truscott Rossman PR firm here in Detroit. He covered the White House and presidency for many years with the Associated Press, including covering Bush v. Gore and the recount in Florida in 2000. Ron, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's go back to 2000, November, and tell us when you knew Florida was going to be a big story in the election. Was it election night, or was it not until the next few days when this odd recount started to take place?
2: No, it was election night. I was writing the uh, the story, uh, the main election story for the AP out of Washington. And my editor actually was a guy, you know, John Woman, who's the, now the publisher of Detroit News. That's right. And so the two of us are elbow to elbow and banging out all these stories. And one of them was that everybody had called Florida for Al Gore and it looked like Gore would be the next president. And I got a call first from Karl Rove, who said, you better take a look at Florida. It doesn't look right. And to be honest with you, I didn't put a lot of credence into it. But then I got a call from Michael Hooley, who was uh, uh, the equivalent of of, uh, Karl Rove in in the Gore campaign, a really good grassroots operative who I knew for a long time and trusted And he said "You might want to take a look at the Secretary of State's results. Luckily, we had in the Bureau a guy who had just transferred from the AP's Miami Bureau, a guy named Will Lester. And him and Sandy Johnson, who was the Bureau Chief, jumped on the website, and they saw an anomaly. And that's when we realized that everybody had called the state wrong for uh, Gore and that it wasn't clear who would win Florida. And AP, for the rest of the night, unlike everyone else, refused to call the race. So I, John, and I wrote and edited that story until about six in the morning. <laughs> I went back and took like a 90 minute nap and came back in the bureau not knowing who our next president was. And, and I've described it, and you'll appreciate this, Steve, and it was like running a marathon. <laughs> you know, a campaign is really hard to cover, and mm-hmm. it's like running a marathon and getting the end of it. And the guy's saying, you know, the race isn't over.
0: Keep going. Said, well, how much longer
2: do I have to go? And he <laughs> says, well, I really don't know. Just keep running.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what it was like. I, I remember that night as well. I was uh, the deputy editorial page editor of the Baltimore Sun. The editor left at around midnight and said, ah, you can close up the pages. And, of course, the, the, she thought it would be just a matter of hours. It turned out that I was there all night wondering which page that uh, we were supposed to, to – to put into the paper as well. But but I remember not, I guess, fully appreciating how significant what was going to happen in Florida was going to be until a little later. I knew that the vote was close there. They were going to have to figure out all of what had happened. But what happened over the next month really t- caught me by surprise. I mean, the, the, the extent yeah. to which this got Screwed up, I think is is the word that uh, that you have to use. Really, really was a shocker.
2: Yeah, oh well, yeah, I didn't I, I didn't know that night that we'd be going for five weeks. Um, and there was, it was one of the weirdest stories I've ever covered because I remember throughout every day for five weeks it, it would it would peak and valley. It would look like in the morning that things were turning Gore's way, and then uh, around lunchtime it looked like it was turning Bush's way, and then back to Gore's way, and back to it just – it was – and it took a while to realize, you know, basically we were covering a tied vote. It was within the margin of voting error. And uh, then it got to be, well, how do we – you know, do we flip a coin? How is it we determine who won what is basically um, a tied vote? And I guess the, the moment when it really hit me how big of a deal it was, was I, I got word that Bush or, – or I'm sorry, yeah, Bush might file a lawsuit against Gore. Right. Which seemed to be a big deal that, you know, one candidate would sue another. Um, and I got a hold of Bush um, in his car, and he was sitting next to um, James Baker, who to me was kind of a legendary figure, someone who I'd never dealt with. He was like a figure of the past. And here I got a Bush and a Baker, and they're both on the phone telling me why they're going to file suit against Gore. And that's that's when it kind of hit me, man, this is a big deal, and I have no idea how this is going to turn out.
0: What were the politics that were being played behind the scenes once this recount started and both sides seemed invested in one outcome or another and it brought them into conflict, was there a lot of back and forth that the public didn't see?
2: Yeah, there was two strands going. One, the one that we were most um, involved in, in in the media was the, the public strand where both sides were doing everything they could to create the perception that they were going to win um, and, and that the other side wasn't playing fair. Um, So you had a lot of shenanigans, PR shenanigans and spinning going on um, by both sides, especially the Republicans. They were very they were much more ruthless and just purely tactically better at creating the perception that um, uh, they were ahead, Um, even though it was, you know, he was never ahead by more than a couple hundred votes, which is, again, basically a tie. Um, Behind the scenes, um, you had some really intense um, legal work being done. Uh, there were there was hundreds of private jets that took off to Florida that night. You know, when you were trying to figure out what front page to put or what editorial page to put in a Baltimore Sun, um, the skies were filled with lawyers heading down, um, <laughs> figuring out how to best um, uh, jockey the, the legal work. and and it, and it was partisan smeared, too. You had the Florida Supreme Court, which was. Overwhelmingly democratic and ruled for Bush, or I'm am sorry for for Gore again and again, and then as everyone knows, we had a Republican-leaning U.S. Supreme Court that uh, stopped the recount and gave the election to Bush.
0: Yeah, what's changed uh, between what happened in Florida in 2000 and the way that the recounts unfolded and then were stopped, and and today when we see a, a small number of counties recounting votes. In anticipation of perhaps a statewide recount, are things any better in Florida now?
2: No, you know, there's some automatic kick-ins for recounts if it's if it's within a half a percentage point difference between the two candidates. there's an automatic machine recount. and if it's within a quarter, there's an automatic hand recount that's a little clearer than it was in two thousand. But basically, um, um one thing that hasn't changed is it's it's a pretty Um, sloppy system, especially in Broward County, a pretty poorly managed system. Now, that's also the beauty of our electoral system. That's why it's so hard to hack in the United States is it's locally run and therefore um, not very, uh, very unevenly uh, managed. And in Florida in particular, um, it's a very evenly divided state. um, And the way the election system is managed is partisan and sloppy, and I'm using the word sloppy. It's pretty, pretty kind word to use. Hmm. What, uh, what what has really changed is um, the partisan nature of this, and our, in our, in our uh, ever increasingly uh, distrust in our institutions, and, and, and now the electoral system is one of those. Uh, the the when you have the president of the United States um, stating without evidence that there is fraud in Florida, when you have the governor. The man who's in charge of running the electoral system, um, uh, Rick Scott, uh, who's also the Senate candidate, claiming there's without evidence, basically um, not only is there not evidence there's evidence to the contrary that that there's uh, uh, anecdotal evidence that shows that there isn't fraud, so you basically have these two leading figures lying, making stuff up um, that rate right, get right to the core of our our, tr- our trust in the integrity electoral system. Um, 2000 was kind of an aberration. The, the, the public, for the first time, was faced with doubts about um, our democracy and our electoral system. Yes. Now we've had you know, a, a generation of um, um, dysfunction in politics um, and uh, two years of a president uh, denouncing um, our electoral system, including in 2016 when he claimed it was rigged. That's what makes this more pernicious. It's actually, the results are much more clear-cut in Florida this time than they were in 2000. But the people's doubts about the system are much more heightened. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Ron Fournier. He is the president of Truscott Rossman PR firm. Here in Detroit, he covered the White House and the presidency for many years with the Associated Press, including the Bush v. Gore recount in Florida in 2000. Ron, you've said that this is dredging up some pretty horrible memories for you and that you fear history is going to repeat itself in an ugly way. Can you expand on that a little?
2: Well, on the one hand, I think it's going to be clear cut. I mean, it's, it's, the, the, the margin is much wider now than it was in 2000. Bill Nelson, for example, in the Who's a Republican governor um, running against? I'm sorry, Rick Scott, who's a Republican governor running against a Democrat, Bill Nelson. He's ahead by almost 13,000 votes. It's it's hard to see how even with a hand recount that gets overcome.
0: That you can make that Bush up v- that ground, sure.
2: Right, Bush v Gore, you were always within a few hundred votes. Now it's a matter of 13,000, and the and the governor's race in Florida is um, the the Republican advantage right now is almost twice as much. So chances are, that, that's the shame of this, Stephen, is, is chances are almost for sure that the Republicans are going to win, that they have won these elections. But still you have the president and the Republican governor um, uh, claiming without evidence, with actually evidence to the contrary, that, that the election has been rigged. So um, we're going to have a cleaner result, I think, but the, the public, because of the the, the way um, our leaders are acting, especially the Republican leaders in Florida, are going to be have even graver doubts about the electoral system when this is all said and done. My so, guess this is going to be this is going to be done within the week, but the public's going to be have great doubts. And
0: and what do you surmise that might be about? I guess for me, I'm looking at Florida. I'm looking at some of the changes that are taking place in that state. Some of the things that voters there did on election day, including. Eliminating felon disenfranchisement is it just fear on the Republican part that that their their grip on state politics is is slipping away that's inspiring their response to this
2: I think so because if they were just looking at this election they would keep their mouths shut and, and win the election fair and square um, so i I think Donald Trump has conditioned a lot of Republican um, leaders and, and rick scott is a mini-me of donald trump that 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 fear um of the other fear of the unknown and fear of being cheated um and again that there's, there's a whole racial component of that but just the fear that i'm being cheated uh, that something that is owed to me that is entitled to me is being taken away that's that's now the the first card a lot of republicans are playing unfortunately especially at the trump wing of the republican party so i think trump is doing this just reactively I mean, he was calling the 2016 election rigged before a vote was cast. That's right. Um, so he's calling, you know, and then that came back and bit him in the butt when he won the election that he claimed was rigged. <laughs> um, and it turns out it was rigged by the Russians, but, you know, he's running away from that. So this doesn't make political sense in the short term. When you look down the road and you realize that, yes, millions of um, or tens of thousands of, of felons are now going to be able to vote, which tends to favor Democrats when you see the demographic makeup of, of the state and of the country. Um, Republicans are running for their lives, and they could run towards a more inclusive party um, to try to change with the times, or they could cling to the past. And at least in Florida with, with Donald Trump and, and uh, Rick Scott, they're clinging to the past. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: of course, the answer to the disinformation spread by The Republican governor and the Republican president is media coverage, accurate media coverage. I wonder what you make 18 years later of the way the media are handling this issue and this recount uh, versus the way they did in in 2000.
2: I think on the whole better, because for one thing, uh, there was a lot of us, including myself, who just had no idea how the election laws worked. And every day was a new and a surprise day. So now you have stories like there's a really good one in The Washington Post today. Um, by Philip Bump, if you want to take a look at that, that points out that um, in Broward County, or in all of Florida, um, the Democrat Bill Nelson is outperforming Hillary Clinton's 2016 total by about three percentage points. Hmm. In Broward County, he is outperforming Hillary Clinton by less than three percentage points. In Broward County, the vote is um, a smaller percentage of the total Florida electorate than it was in 2016. So you take those two facts together, and you say to yourself, boy, if you're going to rig election, that's a strange way to do it, <laughs> because <it's, laughs> the, 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 the vote totals aren't cutting a uh, uh, Bill Nelson's way in Broward County. So obviously, there's not rigging going on in Broward County. If you're going to rig it, you would help. If you were a Democrat rigging the election, more. you would you, you would help Bill Nelson. Yeah, <laughs> you have that kind of sophisticated reporting being done by the media now. The 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 downside is, as you know, Stephen, the media now isn't um, a half a dozen or a couple dozen news organizations who were the gatekeepers in 2000. And, and, and you know, when I wrote for the AP in 2000, me and a few other a couple dozen other reporters pretty much determined what you were going to read and hear about the 2000 sure. recount. Now, you know, it, it, we have been so atomized and the gatekeepers are, are dead. And the media now is so atomized that there's basically 300 million of us. So... It's hard to answer that question because um, everyone now is a is an editor and a publisher, and therefore um, the, the the toxic, false, misleading um, lies have equal weight in the new ecosystem mm-hmm. as the really good reporting that I just discussed.
0: Wow. Okay, Ron Fournier, president of Trust Scott Rossman PR firm. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for dredging up those horrible memories. (laughs) Sorry about that. Take care. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about Election Day. This time, we're going to talk about voting rights nationally, the changes that took place, the challenges that still exist. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you have joined us. On the same day that Florida voters produced an uncertain outcome in two statewide races last week, they also overwhelmingly supported a measure that allows former felons to vote. That means about 1.4 million Floridians who've been barred from voting will now have the same rights as everyone else. It's particularly acute among black men. Forty percent. Yes, 40 were affected by the felon disenfranchised law. What does this mean? What does this change mean for voting in Florida? And what does it mean when you juxtapose it against the efforts that are being made in other states to make sure that more people don't vote? That's where we want to continue the conversation today. And joining me to talk about voting rights and what we are to make of the current landscape is Lester Spence. He's an associate professor of political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University. Lester, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Hey, it's good to be here. It's
0: great to hear your voice. Uh, so uh, you were one of the first people I thought of last week when I saw the results of the that Florida uh, ballot proposal. Uh, And uh, pretty soon after that, I saw you on social media talking about all of the things that happened on Election Day, and you you hit pretty strongly on this. But I want to start with what you think this means in a state where so many voters also went to the polls and voted for a candidate who ran an openly racist campaign. The governor's race there was marked by, uh, by efforts to paint the, the Democratic candidate, an African American, uh, as everything from a crook to just a no account uh, cast about. Uh, what are we to make of what happened in Florida last week?
3: Uh, so, one narrative that's taken hold, I think, for good reasons over the last several years, is that the wave of mass incarceration. That really, really increases uh, after uh, after Reagan is off in an office and has another sharp uptick around the time Bill Clinton is in office. Is that this wave of mass incarceration, which disproportionately affects African Americans, represents a new form of Jim, Jim Crow? Uh, Michelle Alexander writes a book about this, mm-hmm. and that phrase, new Jim Crow, actually hits a chord, strikes a chord with. Uh, blacks uh, across the country and then we're progressives in general and then actually helps create like a new wave of political activism uh, against mass incarceration right Uh, the challenge with that particular narrative that particular phrase is that what we're looking at actually isn't the new Jim Crow and in at least two ways one is that it's far more um, one is that it's not just uh, black people incarcerated, uh, and it's, it's worth noting that in Florida, and I'll, we'll come back to this obviously, of the 1.4 million felons that are about to, that are able to vote, that will be, that have become able to vote, only 400,000 of the, those uh, felons are African-Americans. Yeah. The rest are Latino and white. Uh, and then secondarily, it's not a race thing as much as it is a class thing. Of those 1.4 million, almost all of them are working class to lower income, right? So if we were just to use that new Jim Crow narrative, we'd find it really, really hard to understand how people, how uh, Amendment 4 can get one million more votes than uh, DeSantis did. Uh, DeSantis is the candidate who Gillum probably accurately noted. (laughs) If if DeSantis isn't a racist, (laughs) at the very least a racist, Think he's I believe
0: right. he is sure.
3: <laughs> we can't really <laughs> use that Jim Crow narrative to account for Floridians passing that vote, uh, passing that amendment. Astoundingly, uh, even as the DeSantis-Gillum campaign is closed. So that's that's a thing. But uh, the secondarily, going forward, the quick assumption is that those votes are going to change Floridian, uh, the Florida's political landscape. But again, if only four hundred thousand of those uh former founders are African American, we can only you know to the extent that we're talking about democrat uh versus republican votes it's very possible that those one million that uh those one million other votes will uh will actually go for um, go for the Republican party so it'll be interesting to see going forward hmm. uh,
0: you know i I also wonder what you make of what happened in Florida when you juxtapose it to the things that we saw happening in other states. So let's just go right over the border north to Georgia, where the Secretary of State was the Republican candidate for governor in that state this year, and he indulged and exercised all kinds of efforts to make sure that people couldn't vote. Some people who were eligible to vote, he wanted to make sure that they weren't gonna vote. Uh, I feel like we're at an inflection point, I think, in the discussion about voting rights. Uh, and of course, that, that can't be discussed without discussing the racial backdrop of that, uh, that discussion, both historically and, and currently. Are we, are we moving forward, in your view, on that front, or are we kind of standing still and that we see some victories, but then some real setbacks in other places?
3: Uh, well, I think there is. Uh, I'm not really a hope change person, but I think there is there is some hope in what happened in Florida. Uh, I think to, to simplify what we've been struggling with for for decades. It, it, I talked about this in my American racial politics class. What we're looking at is a struggle between forces that basically want to want to actually. Uh, make the country that the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments made after Reconstruction, right. after the Civil War, uh, and then that's against the forces who basically want the country to exist as it stood before the Civil War, where the Second Amendment and the uh, and kind of the States' Rights Amendment are the are the most important amendments in the Constitution. So, to that end. It's worth noting that we've had kind of a bipartisan consensus around uh, around the Voting Rights Act. That, and it's weird because whenever the Voting Rights Act was voted on, it would have it would have a voting rights. It would have a, a consensus as far as support in both houses. But as far as actually aggressively fighting for the voting rights, uh, to fighting to extend voting rights, We've actually either seen individuals, so in the Georgia case, it's been Stacey Abrams more so than it's been the Democratic Party, although Stacey Abrams is a Democrat. In Florida, we're actually not looking at that felon dis, uh, dis, uh, amendment four, the felon disfranchisement thing we're not looking at that supported by the democratic party that actually was created by a coalition that started from former felons organizing mm. right mm-hmm. so what it, what we're seeing the hope and again i'm not really a hopey changey person comes from actually individuals who are kind of connected to movements saying okay this 15th amendment should be for the left end of the political spectrum what the second end what the second amendment has been for those on the right end of the political uh, spectrum, and the blessing is that they're actually uh, they're actually trying to give this thing teeth through direct democracy. And then again, in somebody like uh, Stacey Abrams case, she started running for election uh, like at least a year yes. for the election. She basically started a ground campaign, doing aggressive voter mobilization and voter registration. Yeah. So I think those those two things are really, really wonderful. And then for those folk on the left end of the political pers- spectrum like me, they kind of point the way forward. Hmm.
0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Lester Spence. He's an associate professor of political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University. We are pouring over the results from last week's election when it comes to voting rights. We saw some steps forward in terms of broadening the access to the ballot for people in this country. We saw some steps to go backward uh, during the campaign and during the election itself. Uh, What do you think about the current state of voting rights in America? Are we headed in the right direction or are we spinning our wheels in place? Or do you think maybe we're maybe even moving backwards. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, what's on your mind?
4: Yeah, good morning. And I, you know what? It's strange, but I, I, I knew
3: Les's father, so tell your father, I said, "All oh, the time will." Oh man, he'd love to hear that. He'd love to hear, love to hear that. Lester can't
0: come 3-1-3. on this show without getting a reminder of home. Three, one, three, all day, every day. Go ahead with your question, Tom. Is this still there, Tom?
4: Yeah, I'm here. Go
0: ahead. Go ahead with your question.
4: I think that we're moving backward because when you look at the importance and a God-given and a constitutional right that says we've got the right to vote, Republicans, they keep throwing hurdles up in front of us to, you know, so high that you almost can't jump them. But, I mean, you know, we're not going to stand for that. But I just think that it's just ridiculous when you consider that, I mean, this country was founded on a one-man, one-vote, you know, thing to use that terminology right there. And I just think it is ridiculous that, you know, all of these impediments that are put in front of us to not give us the right to vote hmm. not, yeah. that, not that it's been not that it's been taken away, but it seems like it's just becoming more and more difficult, you know, with the Republicans throwing, this, throwing these hurdles in the way.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tom, uh, there's no question that, that that there's a really different approach on both sides of the political spectrum to this to this question. Uh, earlier in the show, uh, we were talking with Ron Fournier, uh, who, who had covered the 2000 election in Florida and, and uh, is now a, a PR consultant here. But, but he was talking about how this is about Republican fear of losing... Control that. That as the country changes, as the country becomes browner, there is a a need to attack uh, that expansion with some different kinds of tools than you might have in the past. And voting rights is one of the things that they have decided uh, that they need to, to to be against in some cases in order to to hold that power. Tom, I really appreciate. The call and the question. I want to get to another caller really quick here. Hunter in Farmington. Hunter, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hi. I just want to make a comparison to uh, what your guest was saying about uh, Florida Prop 4 and Michigan Prop 2, Mm -hmm. because I've been thinking Prop 2 was started by a young woman who just posted something on Facebook, and when she approached a lot of the establishment liberals about uh, getting it going, they said, oh, it's never going to work. And that was that. That whole thing was built from the ground up. I, I did signatures for it myself, and and it was really gratifying that that a, a, a true people's campaign like that could could get something so significant
3: done. Yeah,
0: yeah, Hunter, that's a great that's a great comparison. There's also a substantive comparison, I think, between Florida's Prop Four and Michigan's Prop Two. Lester, you've been talking in the last week a little about the significance of ending gerrymandering alongside. Uh, ending felon disenfranchisement uh, in Florida.
3: Yeah, uh, so real quick, I want to push back uh, uh, against Tom productively in one way. The country actually wasn't founded on one man, one vote, well, right? It, we
0: actually we don't had to see, fight a war to do that, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't we don't see them extend the franchise to white man with property until like somewhere near the middle of the nineteenth century. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read old school Thomas Jefferson notes from the state of Virginia, he talks clearly that he actually doesn't believe people without property should vote because if they if they end up voting, they'll be beholden to the people they work for. Right. So and they don't necessarily have the sophistication to use the vote. So what we have is like a long term battle over the meaning of what that 15th Amendment is against again, against those earlier amendment mm-hmm. but um but yes the uh, the caller from thing he absolutely absolutely right what we see i, I believe the michigan state legislature has been run by the at least one house has been run by the republican party since like 1988 mm-hmm.
2: something like that mm-hmm.
3: yes. uh even though we've had a number of votes in which uh the democrats the democrats end up winning for either the senate or the governor at the national level i mean that that is only the result of gerrymandering. And uh, but again, it is a bipartisan consensus around that. I mean, the Democratic Party has taken it in the state of Michigan largely because they want to be able to wield it if and when if and uh if they ever take back control. Mm-hmm. You know, no incumbent wants a competitive election. Nobody does. But the citizens actually require it. So I actually look at what's happening, what happened in Michigan. What happened in florida and what happened in a couple of other states as kind of as uh as kind of a a groundswell of citizens attempting to kind of take back the government from corporate power on one hand and then concentrated political power on the other i mean a 27 year old woman on facebook she's the one (laughs) who uh she's the one who actually got upset uh about uh gerrymandering and decided to do something about it it wasn't like it was somebody With a whole bunch of political expertise and a whole bunch of money. It was just a a young woman.
0: And you always wonder what the potential is for that kind of grassroots movement, right? Uh, If if they can win an election that way, what are some of the other things that we might see change outside of the political system? And I I think one of the ironies of right now is that you have this disruptor in the White House who – who won by saying these old systems don't work anymore yeah. and we've got to shake them up. You also are now saying, seeing on the left uh, people say the same thing in a different, you know, in a really different context saying we can't work inside the system. We've got to, we've got to get outside of it.
3: Yeah. So you've got, uh, I believe three states who voted Republican and are more so on the conservative end of the, uh, Political spectrum, they voted to expand Medicaid, right? Right, but again, it was a ballot. It was a ballot initiative. It was people actually seizing, uh, seizing the direct democracy means and attempting to do it to do it themselves. And then you've got these weird instances. So in Washington, um, they almost passed. They got forty-five. Uh, a carbon tax initiative got forty-five percent of the vote. Now that wasn't regular vote. That was a uh, Bill Gates putting money, putting money behind for anybody. that initiative. Yeah. And then it was a set of corporations spending money against that initiative. But what you see are a large number, are, are, are different actors. In some cases, it was grassroots folk. In some cases, grassroots folk are connected to the left. In some cases, it's just independent actors with a lot of resources using direct democracy means. And again, for those of us who know, I as a political scientist know simultaneously that the two-party system is broken and that the two-party system, because of a wide variety of institutional rules, is basically all we have at a, a state, federal, and in most cases local level, It's like we have to figure out some way to either take control of that party apparatus or to go around it. And I think the ballot initiative is a wonderful way to do so.
0: Okay. Lester Spence, Associate Professor of Political Science and Africana Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today.
3: Always great to be there. Mm -hmm.
0: That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.